European Heart Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 42, Issue 20, Focus Issue, Genetics, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. The growing role of genetics in the understanding of cardiovascular diseases towards personalised medicine. This is a focus issue on genetics described as the single largest unmet need in cardiovascular medicine. Heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, or HEFPEF, remains an untreatable disease currently representing 65% of new HF diagnoses. HEFPEF is more frequent among women and associates with a poor prognosis and unsustainable healthcare costs. Moreover, the variability of HEFPEF phenotypes amplifies complexity and difficulties in the approach. In this perspective, unveiling novel molecular targets is imperative. In a state-of-the-art review entitled Leveraging Clinical Epigenetics in Heart Failure with Preserved Ejection Fraction A Call for Individualized Therapies Authored by Francesca Panini from the University of Zurich in Switzerland and colleagues. The authors note that epigenetic modifications defined as changes of DNA, histones and non-coding RNAs, or NCRNAs, represents a molecular framework through which the environment modulates gene expression. Epigenetic signals acquired over the lifetime lead to chromatin remodeling and affect transcriptional programs underlying oxidative stress, inflammation, dysmetabolism and maladaptive left ventricular, or LV, remodeling, or conditions predisposing to HEFPEF. The strong involvement of epigenetic signaling in this setting makes the epigenetic information relevant for diagnostic and therapeutic purposes in patients with HEFPEF. The recent advances in high-throughput sequencing, computational epigenetics and machine learning have enabled the identification of reliable epigenetic biomarkers in cardiovascular patients. Contrary to the genetic tools, Epigenetic biomarkers mirror the contribution of environmental cues and lifestyle changes, and their reversible nature offers a promising opportunity to monitor disease states. The growing understanding of chromatin and NCRNA's biology has led to the development of several FDA-approved epidrugs, chromatin modifiers, mimics, and anti-MERS, able to prevent transcriptional alterations underpinning LV remodeling and HEFPEF. In the present review, Panani and colleagues discuss the importance of clinical epigenetics as a new tool to be employed for personalized management of HEFPEF. Six sinus syndrome, or SSS, is a complex cardiac arrhythmia and the leading indication for permanent pacemaker implantation worldwide. It is characterized by pathological sinus bradycardia, sinoatrial block, or alternating atrial brady and tachyarrhythmias. Symptoms include fatigue, reduced exercise capacity, and syncope. Few studies have been conducted on the basic mechanisms of SSS, and therapeutic limitations reflect an incomplete understanding of the pathophysiology. In a clinical research article entitled Genetic Insight into Six Sinus Syndrome. Rosa Thorolfsdottir from the Deco Genetics in Reykjavik, Iceland, and colleagues aim to use human genetics to investigate the pathogenesis of SSS 
and the role of risk factors in its development. The authors performed a genome-wide association study, or GWAS, of more than 6,000 SSS cases and more than 1 million controls. Variants at six loci associated with SSS. A full genotypic model best described the PGLI62 cis association with an odds ratio, or OR, of 1.44 for heterozygotes and a disproportionately large OR of 13.99 for homozygotes. All the SS variants increase the risk of pacemaker implantation. Their association with atrial fibrillation, or AF, varied, and PGLI62 cis was the only variant not associating with any other arrhythmia or cardiovascular disease. They also tested 17 exposure phenotypes in polygenic score, or PGS, and Mendelian randomization analyses. Only two associated with risk of SSS in Mendelian randomization, AF and lower heart rate, suggesting causality. Powerful PGS analyses provided convincing evidence against causal association for body mass index, cholesterol, triglycerides, and type 2 diabetes, P being greater than 0.05. Thorolf's daughter et al. conclude that they report the associations of variants at six loci with SSS, including a missense variant in KRT8 that confers high risk in homozygotes and points to a mechanism specific to SSS development. Mendelian randomization supports a causal role for AF in the development of SSS. The article is accompanied by an editorial by Stefan Karb from the LMU Clinicum in Munich, Germany and colleagues. The authors conclude that the limitations of the work challenge clinical translation, but do not diminish the multiple interesting findings by Thoros Dottir et al., bringing us closer to the finishing line of unlocking SSS genetics to develop new therapeutic strategies. They also highlight that this study represents a considerable accomplishment for the field, but also clearly highlights upcoming challenges and indicates areas where further research is warranted on our way on the translational road to personalised medicine. Duchenne muscular dystrophy, or DMD, is an X-linked genetic disorder that affects approximately one in every 3,500 live-born male infants, making it the most common neuromuscular disease of childhood. The disease is caused by mutations in the dystrophin gene, which lead to dystrophin deficiency in muscle cells, resulting in decreased fiber stability and continued degeneration. The patients present with progressive muscle wasting and loss of muscle function, develop restrictive respiratory failure and dilated cardiomyopathy, and usually die in their late teens or 20s from cardiac or respiratory failure. In a clinical research article, associations between prophylactic angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors and overall survival in Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Analysis of registry data. Raphael Porsche from the Université de Paris in France and colleagues Estimate the effect of prophylactic angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors, or ASI, on survival in DMD. The authors analyzed the data from the French multicenter DMD Heart Registry. They estimated the association between prophylactic prescription of ASI and event-free survival in 668 patients 
between the age of 8 and 13 years with normal left ventricular function, using 1, a Cox model with intervention as a time-dependent covariate, 2, a propensity-based analysis comparing ACE-I treatment versus no treatment, and 3, a set of sensitivity analyses. The study outcomes were a. overall survival and b. hospitalization for heart failure or HF or acute respiratory failure. Among the patients included in the DMD heart registry, 576 were eligible for this study, of whom 390 were treated with ACE-I prophylactically. Death occurred in 53 patients, or 13.5%, who were, and 60 patients, or 32.3%, who were not treated prophylactically with ACE-I. In a Cox model, with intervention as a time-dependent variable, the hazard ratio, or HR, associated with ACE-I treatment was 0.49 for overall mortality after adjustment for baseline variables. In the propensity-based analysis, 278 patients were included in the treatment and 302 in the control groups. ACI were associated with lower risk of death, HR 0.32, and hospitalization for HF, HR 0.16. All other sensitivity analyses yielded similar results. Pusher et al. conclude that prophylactic treatment with ACI in DMD is associated with a significantly higher overall survival and lower rate of hospitalization for management of HF. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Marielle Jessup from the American Heart Association in Dallas, Texas, USA. The authors conclude that cardioprotective strategies have been investigated in a number of cardiovascular disorders and successfully incorporated into treatment regimens for selected patients including ASI in patients with and without diabetes and coronary artery disease, angiotensin receptor blockers and beta blockers for Marfan syndrome, and the use of ASI and beta blockers in patients at risk for chemotherapy-related toxicity. Porsche et al. have now convincingly demonstrated that even very young patients with DMD can benefit from the life-saving intervention of ACE inhibition as well. Hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, or HCM, is characterized by unexplained left ventricular hypertrophy and often caused by pathogenic variants in genes that encode the sarcomere apparatus. Patients with HCM may experience atrial and ventricular arrhythmias and HF. However, disease expression and severity are highly variable. Furthermore, there is marked diversity in the age of diagnosis. Although childhood onset disease is well documented, it is far less common. Owing to its rarity, the natural history of childhood onset HCM is not well characterized. In a clinical research article entitled Clinical Characteristics and Outcomes of Childhood Onset Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy, Nicholas Marston from the Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts, USA and colleagues aim to describe the characteristics and outcomes of childhood-onset HCM. They performed an observational cohort study of more than 7,500 HCM patients. HCM patients were stratified by age at diagnosis, less than one year being infancy, one to 18 years being childhood, and greater than 18 years being adulthood. 
and assessed for composite endpoints reflecting HF, life-threatening ventricular arrhythmias, atrial fibrillation, or AF, and an overall composite that also included stroke and death. Stratifying by age of diagnosis, 2.4% of patients were diagnosed in infancy, 14.7% in childhood, and 2.9% in adulthood. Childhood onset HCM patients at an approximately 2% per year event rate for the overall composite endpoint, with ventricular arrhythmias representing the most common event in the first decade following baseline visit, and HF and AF more common by the end of the second decade. Sarcomeric HCM was more common in childhood onset HCM, 63%, and carried a worse prognosis than non-sarcomeric disease, including a greater than twofold increased risk of HF, and 67% increased risk of the overall composite outcome. When compared to adult-onset HCM, childhood-onset was 36% more likely to develop life-threatening ventricular arrhythmias and twice as likely to require transplant or ventricular assist device. The authors conclude that patients with childhood-onset HCM are more likely to have sarcomeric disease, carry a higher risk of life-threatening ventricular arrhythmias, and have greater need for advanced HF therapies. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Juan Pablo Caski from the University College London, or UCL, Institute of Cardiovascular Science in London, United Kingdom. Caski concludes that the field of HCM is now entering the era of personalised medicine, with the advent of gene therapy programmes and a focus on treatments targeting the underlying pathophysiology. Preclinical data suggesting that small molecule myosin inhibitors may attenuate or even prevent disease expression provide cause for optimism, and nowhere more so than for childhood onset HCM. An international collaborative approach involving basic, translational, and clinical science is now needed to characterize disease expression and progression and develop novel therapies for childhood HCM. Dilated cardiomyopathy, or DCM, is a heart muscle disease characterized by left ventricular dilation and systolic dysfunction in the absence of abnormal loading conditions or coronary artery disease. It is a major cause of systolic heart failure, the leading indication for heart transplantation and therefore a major public health problem due to the important cardiovascular morbidity and mortality. Understanding of the genetic basis of DCM has improved in recent years, with a role for both rare and common variants resulting in a complex genetic architecture of the disease. In a translational research article entitled Genome-Wide Association Analysis in Dilated Cardiomyopathy reveals two new players in systolic heart failure on chromosomes 3P25.1 and 22Q11.23. Sophie Garnier from the Sorbonne Université in Paris, France and colleagues conducted the largest genome-wide association study performed so far in DCM, with more than 2,500 cases and more than 4,000 controls in the discovery population. They identified and replicated two new DCM-associated loci on chromosome 3P25.1 and chromosome 22Q11.23, while confirming two previously identified DCM loci on chromosome 10 and 1, V1 
BAG3 and HSPB7. A PGS constructed from the number of risk alleles at these four DCM loci revealed a 27% increased risk of DCM for individuals with eight risk alleles compared to individuals with five risk alleles, median of the referral population. In silico annotation and functional 4C sequencing analysis on iPSC-derived cardiomyocytes, identify SLC6A6 as the most likely DCM gene at the 3P25.1 locus. This gene encodes a taurine transporter whose involvement in myocardial dysfunction and DCM is supported by numerous observations in humans and animals. At the 22Q1123 locus, in silico and data mining annotations and to a lesser extent functional analysis, strongly suggest SMARCB1 as the candidate culprit gene. Garnier et al. conclude that their study provides a better understanding of the genetic architecture of DCM and sheds light on novel biological pathways underlying heart failure. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Elizabeth McNally from the Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine in Chicago, United States, and colleagues. The authors conclude that the methods to integrate common and rare genetic information will continue to evolve and provide insight on disease progression, potentially providing biomarkers and clues for useful therapeutic pathways to guide drug development. At present, rare cardiomyopathy variants have clinical utility in predicting risk, especially arrhythmia risk. PGS for HF or DCM progression are expected to come to clinical use, especially with the addition of broader GWAS-derived data. Combining genetic risk data with clinical and social determinants should help identify those at greatest risk, offering opportunities for risk reduction. In a special article entitled Influence of Vaccination, a shot at investing in cardiovascular health, Scott Solomon and colleagues from the Brigham and Women's Hospital at Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts, USA, note that the link between viral respiratory infection and non-pulmonary organ-specific injury has become increasingly appreciated during the current coronavirus disease 2019 or COVID-19 pandemic. Even prior to the pandemic, however, the association between acute infections with influenza and elevated cardiovascular risk was evident. The recently published results of the NHLBI-funded INVESTED trial, a 5,200 comparative effectiveness study of high-dose versus standard-dose influenza vaccine to reduce cardiopulmonary events and mortality in a higher-risk cardiovascular population, found no difference between strategies. However, the broader implications of influenza vaccine as a strategy to reduce morbidity in high-risk patients remains extremely important, with randomized controlled trial and observational data supporting vaccination in high-risk patients with cardiovascular disease. Given a favorable risk-benefit profile and widespread availability at generally low cost, the authors contend that influenza vaccination should remain a centerpiece for cardiovascular risk mitigation and describe the broader context of underutilization of this strategy. Few therapeutics in medicine 
offer seasonal efficacy from a single administration with generally mild, transient side effects and exceedingly low rates of serious adverse effects. Infection control measures such as physical distancing, hand washing and the use of masks during the COVID-19 pandemic have already been associated with substantially curtailed incidents of influenza outbreaks across the globe. Appending annual influenza vaccinations to these measures represents an important health and moral imperative. The issue is complemented by two discussion forum articles in a contribution entitled Management of Acute Coronary Syndromes in Patients Presenting Without Persistent ST Segment Elevation and Coexistent Atrial Fibrillation. Paolo Verdecchia from the Hospital San Maria della Misericordia in Perugia, Italy and colleagues comment on the contribution 2020 ESC Guidelines for the Management of Acute Coronary Syndromes in Patients Presenting Without Persistent ST Segment Elevation the Task Force for the Management of Acute Coronary Syndromes in Patients Presenting Without Persistent ST Segment Elevation of the European Society of Cardiology, or ESC, recently published. A response to Verdecchia's comment has been supplied by Colette et al. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.